Today we'll be reading out of Isaiah chapter 43. If you'd stand with me in the reading of God's word. But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not... And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar, and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who, everyone who is called by my name, who I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Bring out the people who are blind, yet have eyes, who are deaf, yet have ears. All the nations gathered together, and the peoples assemble. Who among them can declare this? and show us the former things. Let them bring their witness to prove them right. And let them hear and say, it is true. You are my witness, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, and nor, sorry, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord. And besides me, there is no Savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you. And when and you are my witness, declares the Lord, I am God. Also, henceforth, I am he. There is none who can deliver from my hand. I work, and who can turn it back? Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For your sake, I shall send to Babylon and bring them all down as fugitives, even the Chaldeans in the ships which they rejoice. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down, they cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wig. Remember, not the former things, nor, the, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make my way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild beasts will honor me, and the jackals and the ostriches. For I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people who I have formed for myself, that they, may, that they might declare my praise. Yet you do not call upon me, O Jacob, but you have been weary of me, O Israel. You have not brought me your sheep for burnt offerings, or honored me with your sacrifices. I have not burdened you with offerings, or wearied you with frankincense. You have not brought me sweet cane with money, or satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices. But you have burned me with your sins, you have wearied me with your iniquities. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Put me in remembrance. Let us argue together. Set forth your case, that you might be proved right. Your first father sinned, and your mediators transgressed against me. Therefore, I will profane the name of princes of the sanctuary, and deliver Jacob to utter destruction, and Israel to revile him. May the Lord bless the lead. reading of his word. Amen. Join you guys down here today. <laughs> Turn to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. When we come to reading this passage, I want to make a couple of things clear to you. Um, something I don't normally do. 
Um, I, don't, I don't normally read you my translation of the passage. Usually when I'm preparing the sermon, I, I like to walk through the passage from the original language on my own um, to help inform and help me understand the flow of the text. So uh, today, as you go through it, look at your translation. I want, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read through my translation of it. And what I'm going to do is as I'm reading it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to read with the emphasis and the strength that comes out of the, of the original. Uh, there's some of the some places where the English, uh, as it is in your translation, doesn't quite get the force that, that's coming out of the text as it is in the original language. So I want you to see that, not because I think I'm better than the translators who did this. I, I want you as as a church to see the force of what's going on in these in these passages as Jesus is speaking here, because it, it, there's there's a lot that gets missed and it's a long passage. So I want you guys to see that. If you need to make marks in your Bibles. Uh, to, to, try, to try to help you see and, and see these things next time you read through that. Feel free to do so. Uh, we'll read that in just a second. Um, by way of introduction, we want to ask this question. Is change really possible? Is change really possible? My wife and I watched a show on Netflix recently that followed people in prison. Many of the convicts that were followed inside the prison acted completely foolish. Um, regularly, they would break rules inside the prison walls that would put them in lockdown or even solitary confinement. They would tell the cameras about how much they enjoy tormenting police officers, how much they love drugs, or how much they love stealing. However, each one of those criminals, when they got followed into the courtroom, every one of them said, I regret what I did, and I'm a changed person. Every one of them. The benefit of the show is you've got to see they not really much has changed. But before a courtroom, that's how they present themselves. I'm a changed person. Given the evidence, would we say that that person has changed? Think of someone who has wronged you again and again. When they come to you claiming that they have changed, aren't you also a little skeptical? Our culture tells us that change is not possible. That the only way forward is to come to terms with who you are that the things that you do are normal and just a part of life. Even more, our culture says that after you realize that you cannot change, you should not only just come to grips with that, you should also be proud of who you are. You may, some people may say, you know, lust is just part of being a man. It's, it's no big deal. Or maybe, you know, yeah, I am addicted to shopping. I've got lots of debt. But you know, it makes me happy and everyone has debt. Or maybe uh, one might say, I felt like a woman trapped inside a man's body. And I struggled with that thought every day. It was only after I accepted that fact that I was truly happy. Each of these are examples of how we and our culture reject the possibility that change is actually and truly possible. The truth is that each of us needs change. We are creatures rebelling against a holy God. When the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, he is showing us that our sin is way more serious than we ever thought and is way more deadly than we ever thought. We must, like the psalmist, come to the conclusion, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Psalm 51.4 This change is what we call conversion. Change is really possible. And that change is possible through the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Mark Dever explains, the gospel can give us a new start. God can actually give us a new life. That's what we find in the New Testament. That's the great news. As amazing as it may seem, what Jesus described to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, we see Paul experience in Acts chapter 9. And we see it radi this radical reality is presented and explained from Romans 6 to Ephesians 2 to 1 Peter 1. It's all over the place. We call this change then, we call that conversion. Today we're going to see that we have a desperate need for conversion. But not only that, that we have a desperate need for a proper understanding of conversion. So let's move to the text. Let's look at your Bibles and follow along as I read my translation of it and notice, notice some of the, the emphases that come out of the text here. 
It says, therefore again, uh, beginning in verse 12, therefore again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I myself am the light of the world. The one who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Therefore, the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered and said to them, even if I myself bear witness about myself, my testimony is true because I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I came from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I myself do not judge anyone. But even if I myself judge, my judgment is true because I am not alone, but I am the Father who sent me. But even in your law, it stands written that the testimony of two people is true. I myself am the one who bears witness about myself and the father who bears witness about me. Therefore, they said to him, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. And no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Therefore, he said to them again, I myself am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I myself am going, you cannot come. Therefore the Jews said, You don't suppose he will kill himself, do you? Because he says, Where I'm going, you cannot come. And he said to them, You yourselves are from below. I myself am from above. You yourselves are from this world. I myself am, from, uh, am not from this world. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Therefore they said to him, Who are you? Jesus said to them, Now what have I told you from the beginning? I have to say and to judge about you, or I have much to say and to judge about you. But the one who sent me is true, and I myself declare that the world uh, the, declare to the world the things I have heard from him. They did not understand that he was speaking to them about the Father. Therefore Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am. And I do everything from myself. But I speak these things just as the Father taught me. And the one who sent me is with me. And he has not left me alone, because I myself always do the things pleasing to him. While he was speaking these things, many believed in him. Verse 31, Therefore Jesus said to the Jews who, believed, who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will free you. They answered him, We are the seed of Abraham, and have never been enslaved to anyone. How do you, yourselves, how do you yourself say that you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you that whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. But the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. Therefore, if the son frees you, you will be free indeed. I know that you are the seed of Abraham, but you seek to kill me because my word is not contained in you or has not found a place in, in you. I, I myself speak of what I have seen with the Father. Therefore, even, uh, even you do what you heard from your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you were children of Abraham, you would be doing the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I have heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You do the works of your father. Therefore, they said to him, we ourselves were not born of immorality. We have one Father, God. Jesus said to them, If God was your Father, you would love me. For I myself have come from God, and am present, or I am here. For I have not come of my own accord, but he himself sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father the devil. And you will do the desires of your father. He himself was a murderer from the beginning, and, has, and he does not stand in the truth, 
because the truth is not in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own self because he is a liar and the father of them. But because I myself say the truth, you do not believe me. Which from you convicts me about sin? If I tell the truth, why do you yourselves not believe me? Whoever is from God hears the words of God. This is the reason you do not hear me, because you are not from God. The Jews answered and said to him, Are we ourselves not right in saying that you yourself are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I myself do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you yourselves dishonor me. But I myself do not seek my glory. There is one who seeks it and judges. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps or observes my word, he will never see death forever. Therefore, the Jews said to him, now we know that he has a demon. Abraham died and the prophets died and you yourself are saying, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste of death forever. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets who died? Who do you claim to be? Jesus answered, If I myself glorify myself, my glory is nothing. My Father is the one who glorifies me, of whom you yourselves say that he is our God. And you have not known him, but I myself know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I will be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced in order that he might see my day, and he saw uh, and, he, and he was made glad. He saw and was made glad. Therefore the Jews said to him, you do, not, you, do, you do not have 50 years, and you've seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Therefore they picked up stones in order that they might throw them at him. But Jesus was hid and went out from the temple. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this opportunity we have. Lord, this is a long passage and a very complex passage in many ways, but, but God, uh, here we are before your word. May we submit ourselves to it. May we find ourselves in the text. May we find the places where we fail you. May we seek more than anything to be submissive to your word, to hear your word, and to hear the message that you have for us this morning. Lord, I pray that we would understand your scriptures well. In your name, amen. Amen. So first off, we see in this passage, these first from verses 12 to verse 30, Jesus makes this big point. His, if you were to summarize that, he is saying that we have a desperate need for conversion. He starts out, he says, uh, uh, verse 12, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This is one of the great I am statements of scripture where Jesus here says, we saw before he said, I am the bread of life. Here he says, I am the light of the world. This imagery kind of has, has several different nuances to it. If you remember, this is still in the context of the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, this is all going on at that same festival um, that we've been talking about for the last several weeks. One of the last things that would take place in this festival, on, this, on, this, on that final day, the day of the great Hosanna, as we've already talked about, was this candle lighting ceremony. They had three massive candles that they would set up as, as, a, as a testimony about the light going into the world. Jesus, in the midst of this tabern, in the midst of this ceremony, says, I am the light of the world. And not only that, there's a strong biblical heritage to this idea of being of God being the light of the world. And further, and more specifically, in John chapter 1, at the very beginning of the book. John tells us this, almost anticipating what happens here in chapter 8. He says here, um, uh, in John chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 3, All things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to be children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. 
So here we have this theme that runs through here that Jesus is the light, the light that is in John chapter 1. That person that is being talked about in John chapter 1 is Jesus. He is the light of the world. And he says that you will not walk in darkness. The emphasis there in the original language, uh, there's a double negative. Um, now in English, a double negative reverses the first negative, right? Um, in Greek, a double negative emphasizes the first negative. It's you are, it's, it's, it would be saying like you are not not, you will not not walk in darkness, right? And that's not reversing it. He's saying you will definitely not walk in darkness. It's a very strong, a strong emphasis there. The one who follows the light, the one who walks in the light, will not walk in darkness. And continuing on here in verse 13, we see that Jesus and the Pharisees end up with a bit of a competition. And they say, Jesus, you are bearing witness about yourself. You can't do that. That doesn't matter. If you say this about yourself, it doesn't matter. And what does Jesus say? He says, I have another witness. It's the Father that sent me. Boom. Right? Minds explode. But not really. Right? Jesus said, just like he did in chapter 5, he says, I have a witness. It is the Father who sent me. And this is the most important witness. If God is the one who has sent him, then everything he says is true. And this is what he's telling these, these, these Pharisees. This debate is very similar to the one found in uh, verses in chapter 5, verses 30 to 47. Here, Jesus does not mention John the Baptist, nor does he emphasize Scripture as a witness to him. The only witness he needs, just as in chapter 5, is the Father. In verse 15, uh, we look at this. Jesus makes a statement that, just to clarify here, Jesus makes this statement, You judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. But if you remember last week, we saw that Jesus is the great judge, Right? If we saw that last week, that Jesus is the great judge, what in the world is Jesus talking about when he says, I don't judge anybody? Right? Well, we know that he does judge. He is the great judge. He is the good judge. So what is he talking about here? How does that not contradict with the passage before it? Well, here's, here's, here's uh, what, what uh, D.A. Carson makes this explanation. Um, uh, he, he explains it this way. He said, Jesus means rather that he does not judge anyone the, at all the way his opponents do. Right? If, we, if you see here, he says, you judge according to the flesh. What Jesus is saying, I don't judge that way. You judge according to the flesh. I don't judge anyone at all. Not like you do. Right? Um, I don't, uh, he, he does not appeal to superficial or fleshly criteria. And accordingly, mark people up or down. Oh, you're better. You did some good things. Oh, you're not so good. You did some bad things. That's not how Jesus judges. If, if this is what his opponents mean by judging, Jesus does not do any of it. Jesus' defense here also is very similar to the point that John makes in 1 John chapter 2, verses 21 through 23. Jesus says here, if you don't believe in me, you don't believe in the Father. Right? If you go to 1 first cha first John chapter 2, verses 21 through 23, uh, the same writer, John, John makes this same statement here. Uh, let me turn to it here real quick. Um, says, uh, who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. So Jesus, in his defense here, he's saying, if you don't believe in me, you don't believe the Father. Right? This is a, this is a truth throughout Scripture. This is not the first time Jesus has said this. If you deny me, if you don't believe that I am the Son of God, if you don't believe that I am the Savior, you deny the Father. And you're not a follower of God after all. You might think you are, but you're not. This is what Jesus, Jesus makes this. This is not the first time he said this. He's said this over and over and over again. Continuing on here in verse 20, it says that these words were spoken in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Here we see divine sovereignty at work. Jesus is, at this point, he is months away from heading, excuse me, from heading directly to the cross. That is God's divine plan is for him to be crucified on a cross. And here we see that people want to arrest him. We've already seen this, that people want to arrest him. Why does Jesus continue to elude them? Because it's not time yet. 
God's sovereign timing has not taken place, and, this is, and, and the, the, maybe the, the ways that they might go about his death are not the ways that God has ordained him to die. Verse 21, Jesus makes this statement. He says, He said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. What he's talking about, he says, I am going away. He's talking about his death. He says, you will seek me. What he means by that is you'll keep looking for the Messiah. Right now, you're looking for the Messiah. I'm going to die. You're going to keep looking for the Messiah, but I'm going to be gone. You're going to, you're going to have missed the boat. You're going to have missed it. But you will die in your sins because they have rejected the Messiah. They have rejected their Savior. Verse 22 the people get confused about this. You see this over and over and over again. The people that Jesus are talking to, just thick skulls, always. They don't get it. They're missing the point. Jesus makes this statement, I'm going away. You cannot, you will seek me. Um, and they say, uh, and look at verse 22. Now the Jews said, will he kill himself? Right? And this, this is interesting. What's interesting about this, they accuse him. Of, is he going to commit, commit suicide? Now, at this point, there's a difference here. Back in chapter 7, in verses 33 through 36, Jesus said, I'm going somewhere and you can't follow. And they said, is he going to go to Galilee? Is he going back to Galilee? And here, now he's saying this again, I'm going to go somewhere and you can't go there. And they say, he's going to commit suicide. There's a, they have drastically reduced their opinion of Jesus since chapter 7. Right? In, in Jewish culture, just like it is today, Suicide is, is not a very well thought of thing. This is like the lowest of the low. It's, it's a very, very sad way out. It was a very dishonorable thing to do. So they have no respect for Jesus. They say, he must be going to be committing suicide. Because What is he talking about here? You can see that they have no respect for Jesus. They think the worst of his character. Verse 23 then, Jesus makes this statement. And, and one of the things that's it's really helpful seeing this in the original language Jesus is very strongly and emphatically separating himself from these people. Look at what he says here. Um, verse 23, he said to them, You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Each of those pronouns, you might want to underline that, highlight that. Jesus is saying, you are over here. I am over here. There is a big gulf between the two of us. We are not on the same team here, guys. You guys are way over there. I'm way over there. We're, we're distant here because you guys just don't get it. You're not, hitting, you're not understanding what's going on here. There's a clear distance between Jesus and his audience. Jesus knows their hearts, and he knows their spiritual condition. Verse 24 then, he says, I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. The, the original wording there when he says, you must believe that I am he, that word, that, that pronoun he is to try to help us understand what he's talking about. What it literally says there is, you, will believe, you must believe that I am, period. What does that sound like? Remember back to Exodus chapter 3, where God reveals himself to Moses, and God says, who should I say sent me? He says, tell them I am sent you. Jesus, in no uncertain terms, is making a very clear declaration of his divinity. He's saying, you need to believe that I am God. That's what you need to believe. If you miss that, you're going to die in your sins. Ultimately, this is a reference to Exodus 3. Um, he, uses, he does the same thing. He uses that same phrase in verse 28 and again climactically in verse 58. Uh, you'll see uh, in verse 58, they keep the translation as, as, as before Abraham was, I am. Uh, but in verse 28, they do the same with the I am he. It's the same phrase, ego me, I am, I am, I am, in all three places. At first here, the people are kind of confused about this, right? They, he, said, he tells them, you need to believe that I am, verse 24. Um, For unless you believe that I am, he, uh, or, or uh, that I am, you will die in your sins. They said to them, who are you? Right? Who are you then? They completely missed it. They're confused about what Jesus is talking about. Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. <coughs> I've been telling you this from not only from the beginning of his ministry, but this is also a reference to the fact of his pre-existence. 
I have always said this. I've always been God. I've always been there since the beginning of time. Referencing even to creation, where God creates by means of his son. God, the, the son of God has always existed. He's been saying the same thing from the beginning. And salvation has always been through belief in the son of God. This is what Jesus is getting, getting at here. It's, it's, uh, it's just what I said from the beginning. Not just the beginning of his ministry, but also this entire aspect of his beginning. Verse 26, I have much to say about you and much to judge. But he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world that I have heard from him. This uh, verses 26 through 29 kind of reiterates this deep and strong relationship that he has with the Father. Um, they did not understand, verse 27, that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, this is a reference to their crucifying him, but it, it also there's kind of a double meaning here. Not only will they be lifting up when they, will lift him up when they crucify him, but in crucifying him, they will actually be glorifying him. Because that is where he brings salvation to the world. It's through his crucifixion. So they will lift him up, not only in crucifixion, but also glorifying him unintentionally. Um, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, verse 28, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. And he has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And he was say, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Now before you get excited here, we've seen this before. This is not the first time we've seen people come to believe in him, and then Jesus has something to say to those people afterwards. We'll get to that here in just a second. But as we pause at this point in the text, we need to realize every human being is in desperate need of conversion. Look back to verse 21. Jesus explains that if you reject him as the Messiah, as the only source of salvation, as the only one on whom you can rely for your salvation, if you reject him as, the, as your Messiah, you will die in your sins. Not you might, not it's possible, you will die in your sins if you reject Christ. Our sin the, thing that the, the things that we do that break God's commands rightly and correctly deserve eternal punishment and separation from a holy God in a place called hell. The smallest lie, the smallest way of maybe cheating on your taxes, the most seemingly innocent of sexual sins, to the most heinous crimes equally deserve death and hell. Jesus gives us good news. He is the light of the world. Like a lighthouse on the shore, he warns us of the impending danger of death. He is the light that in, in that he chases away darkness. He reveals to us the darkest corners of our hearts where we thought we had sin, hid our sin the deepest. Yet he does not merely show us the light. He also makes a way to be saved from this destiny. The eternal son of God took on humanity so that he might suffer and die as a perfect sacrifice Shedding the blood that should have been ours. Taking on suffering that should have been ours to appease the holy and righteous wrath of God against your sin and against my sin. In his death, he takes on the full measure of God's wrath. And he does not, but he does not remain dead. Rather, three days later, he raises from the dead, conquering sin and Satan and death and making it possible for us to be raised from spiritual death. Apart from Christ, death is our only option. But if we trust Christ and believe that he is who he says he is, we have access to the same resurrection. Amen. We can have a new and restored life. We can really change. We desperately need conversion. But not only do we need conversion, but we must have a proper understanding of conversion. Verse 30 leaves us off with some people believe in him. Let's look at verse 31. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, not to some other people, not to some other group over here, the people that are saying, Jesus, we believe in you. He speaks now directly to them. And the rest of this passage is a conversation that he has with those people who, he said that the, who said that they believed in him. He says, if you abide in my word or continue or remain, if you remain in my word, you are truly my disciples. Now, why would Jesus say truly? 
For Jesus, he understands there is a difference between believing in him and truly believing in him. There's a difference between true conversion and false conversion. These people believe in him, or at least they think they believe in him. But Jesus is about to show them, you don't actually believe in me. And why not? Because he's already said, if you abide in my word, that's how you know if you are truly a disciple, if you abide in his word. That means the things that Jesus says, the things he teaches, that you continue to believe them and continue to follow them, to continue to seek to be obedient to those things. But not only that, if you remembered from the whole book of John, the word word is a technical term as well that also relates to himself, the logos, the word. In John chapter 1, again, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. And then you drop down to verse 14 in John chapter 1. It says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only begotten Father, full of grace and truth. Not only do we believe the words Jesus said, but we are also remaining in and trusting, continuing to rely on his person and his work. Who he is as God. What he has done as Savior. It's, a, it's, a, it's something we continuously remain in and believe in. Those are people who are truly his disciples. Continuing on then, uh, through this passage, they answered him, Uh, Jesus says, you are truly my disciples, um, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And this confuses the people. Like, what do you mean we're going to be set free? Look how they respond. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham, and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say we will become free? Now again, before we say, oh, you bunch of dumb Israelites, you've been enslaved many times. Right? You were enslaved by the Egyptians, you were enslaved by the Chaldeans, you were enslaved by this group and that group, you guys were in slavery. So they're not talking about just physical and political slavery. They're also discussing and bringing up and pointing out we are, they believed as as children of Abraham that they were spiritually free, that they are not slaves to anything because they were born from a certain lineage. Right? So this is their view of what salvation looks like. Now we start to see that that kind of contrasts with what Jesus was just saying about what salvation is. Their understanding of salvation completely contrasts with this. And before we become too judgmental on them, how many people that you know say, I'm a Christian because I was born here. I've always been a Christian. Right? I've always been a Christian. My grandma was a Christian, my mom was a Christian, and I'm a Christian. As if it's some kind of religion that you're born into. It's not true. We're not always Christians. There is a moment of conversion. There is a transformation from death to life. So we have this, we've, we've, we've done the same thing that these people have done. Continuing on, uh, Jesus says, Answer them, truly, truly, I say unto you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son (laughs) remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. Why do these people want to kill him? Why is Jesus still peering directly into their souls and catching their motivations? Because they still want to kill him because Jesus' word finds no place in them. They don't want to obey him. They have no desire to be obedient to God. They have no desire to be obedient to Christ and his commands. Jesus says, I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. And here we have the first glimpse to where Jesus is going to climactically claim something about their parentage that they were not expecting. Let's keep moving forward here. Jesus then answered them, or they answered him, Abraham is our father. We know who our father is. It's Abraham. Right? Remember, Jesus is saying, my father is God, the father, right? That's my father. But yeah, Abraham's our father. They're still missing the point here. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. If you remember back to Genesis, there was a moment when, when uh, three angels came to him. The angel of the Lord and two angels, if we know our Old Testament well, the angel of the Lord is Jesus Christ. It's a Christophany. It's, a, it's an appearance of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. And here we have 
Here we have Abraham standing before the angel of the Lord. How do we know that he knows that this is the son of God? He worships him. And that angel doesn't say, no, don't worship me. You need to worship God. That angel accepts the worship. Why? Because he's God. Amen. Right? When, and what does Abraham do when these three angels come to Jesus? The angel of the Lord, the son of God, stands before, before Abraham and says, your nephew is in grave danger. Sodom is going to get destroyed. Does Abraham go, I'm going to kill you? No. What does he do? He says, Lord, will you save him? Please? What can we do to save him? And he begins praying for him. He believes the words that this messenger says because he knows who he is. And yet these people, Jesus is the messenger of God still, proclaiming the word of God because he is the word of God, proclaiming the truth, and these people want to kill him. That's not what Abraham did at all. You want to say to your children of Abraham, Abraham responded in worship, you're responding in murder. You are not children of Abraham. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. Here's hint number two. And here they still miss it. They think that maybe he's... Can, can, he's uh, can, uh, or accusing them of some kind of shady background, right? Maybe their, their, their parents weren't married when they, some kind of shady uh, background or their parentage. And look what they say. He says, uh, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. And further, the, the, in, in, in bringing up the, the, the fact of God, their father, they're also showing that they understand that that sexual immorality here is not just about physical parentage, but over and over throughout the, throughout the Old Testament, it talks about following after idols is, is compared to taking in with a whore. Over and over in the Old Testament. And they're saying, we didn't do that. We still believe in, in God who's our father. Right? They realize exactly what Jesus is telling them. Jesus is telling them, you guys are idolatrous? And they're saying, no, we're not. We don't worship idols. And Jesus is going to continue to press this button, these buttons on them. And these people continue to get more and more angry. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. And that's again, as we've seen before, the word hear here is not just to listen. It's also to obey. You can't believe in the Father because you can't obey my words. You refuse to do it. You will not obey me. You will not listen to me. Therefore, God is definitely not your Father because he's the one who sent me. Here Jesus gets to a climax and stops with, the, with, with speaking in riddles here. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He clarifies this. He, the devil, was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Why don't they believe Jesus? Because he's saying the truth. If their, fa their father is the devil, their father is the enemy, their father is Satan, he is the father of lies, they would rather believe lies than believe the truth. So who is their parentage, spiritually? Satan. Satan. Because they would rather believe lies than believe truth. Which of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. And continuing forward, these guys are quite offended. Very, very offended at what Jesus just said. Think about this. You're a person who firmly believes that as a child of Abraham, you have nothing wrong with you. You're not in sin. You're not doing anything wrong because your heritage is this. Right? You were born this way. This is who you are. And there is no need. I don't have any need for salvation because I already have it. It was already given to me because of where I came from. And Jesus says, nope, you're from the devil. Look at how offended they are. Look at how they respond. The Jews answered him. Are we not right in saying, in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? They come out with him with a double whammy. Right? Two gloves off, slapping him. Right? You're this despised, half-breed people that we don't like that live just north of us, 
Are we, are we not wrong in saying that you're one of those despised dogs? Or worse yet, you probably have a demon, you're probably demon possessed. Because no Jew would ever tell another Jew these kind of things, right? That's ridiculous. You must have a demon, right? They are very offended at what Jesus says. Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yeah, I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. He will not. This is that emphasis again, that double negative. He will not see death. It doesn't stop there. It says he will not see death to the ages. He will not see death forever. Amen. If you believe in Jesus, if you are a, a, a child of God, you will never see death. What a great promise here. What a great, this is the good news. There's a lot of bad news here. There's a lot of very depressing things Jesus is saying. A lot of things that as we look at application, it's going to hurt us to hear what Jesus is applying, how Jesus would apply this to our lives. It's going to hurt us. But here's the good news. There is hope. There is salvation in Christ. What a glorious truth. He will not see death forever. The death that he really deserves. Continuing on in verse 52. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. You just did it, Jesus. Now we know you have a demon. <clears throat> Abraham died. These all, all of a sudden, these guys become Bible scholars, right? Abraham died, and the prophets died. And you're trying to tell us that people aren't going to die. Do you think that you're better than Abraham? Really? Who do you think you are? That's exactly what they say, isn't it? Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be, Jesus? Who do you think you are? We know our Bibles. They all died. How can you tell us that people aren't going to die or that you're not going to die? It's nonsense. It's ridiculous. Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say, to, say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. Jesus is saying, if, I was to, if, I would, if I, you want me to tell you that I don't know the Father, I'd be the liar, and then I'd be in your boat. That's not a good idea. I'm going to keep telling the truth, right? But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Now they're just, they're just pulling at straws. They're just mad. Right? Have you ever had a debate with somebody or just discussion with somebody, and they get so angry that they just started saying nonsensical arguments? You're not even 50 years old. Right? <laughs> Guys, you really are missing everything here. You're completely missing all these points. You're not even 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say unto you. And this is where they finally get what Jesus meant. He says, before Abraham was, I am. In no uncertain terms, Jesus has just declared, I am eternal. I am God. And look how the people respond. They finally realize what Jesus is saying. They finally realize the seriousness of what Jesus is saying. And these people who had claimed to believe in Jesus, look at how they respond. Remember, they claimed to believe in Jesus and said, Jesus said, you want to kill me? What are you talking about? They're like, what do you mean? Right? What happens at the end of this passage when they finally get it? They picked up stones to throw at him. They said, that's enough, Jesus. We're done with your nonsense. We're picking up rocks and we're going to kill you right now. We're taking you out. We're done with it. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Why? It's not his time yet. Because he's still going to the cross. The people who claimed, who came to Jesus at the end of verse 30, thought that they understood conversion. But Jesus explains that they do not. There are two major misunderstandings. Uh, of conversion that we may face. First, we may actually be saved, but we do not think that we are. 
This is the first time. If, we, if you misunderstand conversion, this is one direction that can take. This is dangerous because with that misunderstanding, we believe the lies and accusations of the enemy, and it paralyzes ourselves for ministry and service. If you truly have put your faith and trust in Christ, you must understand that you cannot lose that salvation. If you feel the weight of your sin, that's a good thing. And a sign that you are a believer. It's in 1 John as well. The proper response is repentance and confession. Not confessing to me, right? I can't do anything. I don't have access to God that you don't have. But confession to God, to agree with him that your sin is sin. To ask for his forgiveness and to put that sin to death in your life. Do not return to that sin. So the first misunderstanding of, of conversion is to say, is to, if you are actually a believer, and think, well, I'm not saved. You might be. Right? Let's walk through that. Let's think through that. Don't, don't let the enemy continue. Here's one of the things I've, I've noticed. The enemy is going, to convert, is going to convict you of your past. Right? The enemy is a great liar. He is not omniscient. Right? He doesn't know your thoughts. He doesn't know that he's not God. Right? He doesn't know you like God knows you. He knows what you have done. So if you sit there and you think, you know what, I'm worthless because I did this and I did this and I did this. And you're constantly focused on, I thought I believed in Jesus, but you know, I did this that one time. And there was that one time I did this. That's more than likely the enemy trying to say, I'm going to paralyze you and cripple you from ministering. Because I want you to do nothing. I want you to feel so paralyzed by your past sin that you can't do that. Now again, if you're not a believer, more likely if the Holy Spirit is convicting you of sin... It's going to be your present sin. It's who I am now. I am a sinner. I am going a direction that I'm missing. I've never trusted in Christ for my salvation. Right? And that might be the conviction of the Holy Spirit that you are not a Christian. Right? That you are not a believer. But don't believe that. Don't believe the lie of Satan. Uh, we, we need to understand that about conversion. That a correct understanding of conversion takes us away from that trail. There's also a second misunderstanding of conversion that I believe is far more dangerous. It is the misunderstanding that we saw of the Jews in this passage. The second misunderstanding is thinking that you've been converted, but really you have not. Charles Spurgeon, a 19th century Baptist pastor in England, tells this story about a pastor named Roland Hill. He says this, A drunken man came up to Roland Hill one day and said, I am one of your converts, Mr. Hill. Probably more like, I'm one of your converts, right? And then Mr. Hill says, I dare say you are, replied the shrewd and sensible preacher, but you are none of the Lord's, or you would not be drunk. Spurgeon continues, to this practical test, we must all bring our work. The danger of believing that you are saved, but not actually being saved. Is your life consistent with the life of a converted person? Or like the Jews, is your father the devil? Salvation is more than mental assent. It's more than moral reform. It is a dependence on Christ alone. As Jesus tells us in this passage, it is a deep and abiding obedience to Christ and his commands and a deep faith in his person and work. Practicing homosexuality is not an acceptance of how God made you, but rather God tells us in Romans 1 that it is a result of God giving you up to the lust of your heart. It is an exchange of the truth for a lie and a worship of the creature rather than the creator. If you are a person who enjoys partying and getting drunk or are a full-on alcoholic, God commands, be not drunk with wine, but rather be filled with the Spirit. Pursuing drunkenness is direct disobedience to the command of Christ. Scripture again and again commands against sexual immorality and misconduct. Pornography is sin. Sleeping with or living with your boyfriend or girlfriend is sin. Lying and cheating is sin. Satan would love nothing more than to convince us that our sin is not a big deal and that we are okay just the way we are. If we believe the lies of our culture that come from the lies of Satan, then we are not abiding in Christ, but rather abiding in the lies of Satan. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not suggesting that if you are truly a believer, you'll never sin again. Far from it. Scripture promises that we will sin again. 
However, Scripture is clear that our response to sin is how we can tell if we are truly converted. Our response to sin is how we can tell if we are truly converted. Again, going back to 1 John, I'm going to read this passage real quick as we move toward, move toward a close here. 1 John chapter uh, 1, beginning in verse 8, says this, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin, to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is a propitiation for our sin and not of ours only, but also for the sins of the entire world. And by this we know we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. If you are able to practice these sins or others openly and with pride, then Jesus and John warn us that we may not truly be disciples. However, if we respond in repentance, turning around, then we have evidence that the Holy Spirit is truly at work in us. Put down the pornography. Stop the ungodly sexual relationship. Choose truth over lies. Even now, you may be responding in your heart, yeah, but my situation is different. Let me stop you right there. Because I've said the same thing. It's not an excuse. That is believing a lie. The only response that you can have right now is to turn away from your sin. Not only do we as individuals need, to, need a biblical understanding of conversion, but we as a church need a biblical understanding of conversion. As Bible-believing Christians, we believe what is in what is called regenerate church membership. Scripture tells us that only those who are truly converted are members of the universal church. As such, we have a responsibility as a church to be careful that the membership of our local church resembles the universal church as closely as possible. In fact, Jesus commanded as much in Matthew 18. People in persistent and public sin, according to Matthew 18, should be removed from our membership or even denied membership. We, must, we, we, we as a church misunderstand conversion and church membership when we allow public rejection of the commands of Christ to continue in our midst. The church in Corinth was prideful over allowing a man who was sleeping with his mother-in-law to remain among them. They believed it was the loving thing to do. On the contrary, it's unloving to allow someone to continue in their sin and remain in good standing. What does that say about what we believe about Christ's church? What does that communicate to our members and to our community? If we do not have a biblical understanding of conversion, we are actually being unloving to our members and to our community because we will be unwilling to pursue obedience to Christ and purity as a body. Rather than believe in the lies of the culture, we must understand our deep and desperate need for conversion, but not only that, we must have a proper understanding of conversion. As we move into the invitation, this sermon may sound harsh. I don't apologize. Jesus was honest and quite harsh to the Jews in this passage. If we want to honestly and accurately preach the text in front of us, these are the truths that must be preached. If you have been offended like these Jews were offended, Please remember that you are not offended at me, but rather at the God who wrote Scripture. If you are, are convicted, remember, there is grace and forgiveness at the cross. If you are not a believer, change is not possible through a president or some other political figure. True change is only possible through the gospel. In a moment, we'll have an invitation. If you have business to deal with between you and the Lord, these stairs can function as a place for you to take care of that business. You can also sit and pray in your seats. Do not reject the conviction of God. If you are here and know that you are not truly a Christian, please do not leave here without making that all-important decision. 
You can come to the front and we can talk about talk during the invitation or you can pull me aside after the service and we can talk about how you can know for sure that you are a believer. If you would like to join a church that will seek to have a biblical view in all that we do, a church who will seek to keep you accountable as scripture commands, a church where you can pursue Christ together in community, a church where you can grow deeper in your walk with Christ and in obedience to him, then this is the place for you. I would love to begin a conversation with you on how you can be a part of our church. You can join me at the front to begin that conversation or find me after the service. However the Lord is calling you this morning, now is your time to respond. So let's move into this time of invitation. There's several different areas where God is challenging us. Maybe you're not a believer. Maybe you've been rejecting Christ. Maybe you thought you were a believer, but you really weren't. You've never truly been converted. Maybe you hear and you are a believer and you're, you're weighed down by your sin. That's just repentance and forgiveness. Just like at the cross when you first got saved, there is still repentance and forgiveness available. Praise the Lord for that. And finally, if you, if you, if you want to be a part of this community of faith, we'd ask you to, to use this time as a, as a way for us to be able to be aware of that. Wayne. Please stand.